Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 335, recorded January 10th, 2021. So a new year for us here at the Star Trek Comic Book Review. Yes. Hopefully this issue or this episode is posted within the year 2021. <laughs> it should be, although no, maybe not no by problem. much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so today we're only doing two issues. We're doing uh, issues 52 and 53 of Star Trek Gold Key. Yep, so get and us some these, tall uh, came out in 1978. Mm-hmm. Uh, May and at least the first one's in Ju- May. Yeah, no, July for the second one. Okay, cool. Yeah, so there are another couple gold keys. Um, heavy on action. And, um, you know. Light on logic? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're about right. You're about right. Um, inserting some characters that I think are very, uh, especially in 52, that are probably, I think, probably appealing to a younger audience. One of the guest, oh, yeah. guest characters. Yeah, so um, in regards to uh, appealing to a different audience... Uh, mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time I've ever seen Star Wars merch being referenced in a Star Trek book. Oh, so oh. This is 1978, so the Star Wars did come out in 78. So, it so there's a commercial? Uh, there's or both, an ad? Both books have a lot of ads for it. Oh. I think there's like two Oh, yeah, there it is. That, okay. That reference, you know, Star Wars. Yeah. I can, I can s- yeah. Or maybe it's just that one, the the watch thing. I was thinking that there was a poster somewhere. Well, there is. So there's yeah. a t-shirt and poster. Right. Get a and Star then, Wars then t-shirt and a, poster. Yay. There's a watch. So being a kid at this time, you know, for me, Star Wars was all over my radar. Right. Uh, and Star Trek wasn't, um, you know, because there wasn't any new episodes when I was when I was this age. Right. From from the time I was born to now, I, I had never seen a new episode of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But Star Wars, on the other hand, I was eaten up. Well, so it was kind of cool just to see that here and then remember what I might have been doing at this time <laughs> in my young life. Oh boy, seventies. Oh, this is late in seventy eight. Hmm. Right. I'm just wondering what I was doing. I know some, at some point in the 70s, I was big into Space 1999 because that was new stuff. Right. Um, and, of course, when Star Wars came out, well, that was it, baby. Uh, I mean, I still love Star Trek, but, man, Star Wars. I mean, I I went to the, the Cine Capri uh, like five times that summer and went to see Star Wars. Loved it. Totally addicted. Ah. <sighs> Right. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad it was so popular that it did bring back Star Trek. Exactly. I mean, I don't, I completely agree with you. The uh, the movie, although we might have had a TV show, but if it wasn't for Star Wars, we wouldn't have had the new movies. 
Yeah, well, speaking of the TV show, the the second TV show, Star Trek II, mm-hmm. uh, they do reference Star Trek II, the TV show that's being made uh, in this issue 53. They actually talk about it, like, oh, send it, mail in, and we'll send you information on the new Star Trek II that's coming out. So, oh boy, it so is that was cool. in the back of the back of the. Uh, it's it's comic? in the middle of the issue of 53. Oh, well, so it was okay. kind of cool to see that. You know, like now, we always get the speculation, oh, they're about to make a new Star Wars. Oh, they're mm-hmm. about to make a new Star Trek. Star Trek Four is on its way. Right. So this, you know, as a kid in the 70s, you know, you didn't have the internet and YouTube no. to tell you all this stuff. It was like, you you turn the page in your comic, and then suddenly you're like, you know, join the official Star, True, Star Trek Two official national fan club. Right. We'll send you information. You're just like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of cool. It's kind of cool to see what a kid at that time would have been exposed to about what possibly possible future Star Trek had right. off the comic book page. It's kind of cool. I like it. Yeah. I mean, back then there were comic, mm-hmm. there were like fan publications, like what, Fangora? And Starlog and stuff like that. And Starlog. So that's yeah. a place you could have got some info to, but hey, if you're reading a Star, book, Star Trek comic book, that you'd, you'd be very interested in, that, in, yeah. in, in, a, I, in a possible new TV series. Right. As a kid, I, I I was part of the Star Wars fan club, and I remember getting my like iron-on patch and official notice and all that stuff. But uh, I did not know of a Star Trek one, nor would I have probably been all that interested in it. To tell you the truth. Oh, a Star Trek fan club? Yeah. Oh, there definitely was a Star Trek fan club. Oh, I'm sure there was. And, and that and that started up, I think, in the second season when they had the big. Uh, well, it was small. And then it really started to get more people as they were doing the uh, the the, the uh, you know, writing in campaign. Did not cancel them. Exactly. So so, anyways, it's kind of cool. I mean, uh, when did the cartoon come out? Was it coming out around this time? I'll have to look that up. Well, it was in the seventies, right? So earlier seventies? I don't remember. I don't yeah, remember. I mean, it was before the motion pictures. So anyway, we should get going. We should yes, start. Let's let's let's. Okay. So I'm doing the first one, uh, issue 53, or 52, and it's titled, And a Child Shall Lead Them. Published date, as we mentioned before, May 1998. Writer is George Cashdan. 98? And... Boy, you oh, jumped it up a couple decades. Sorry. <laughs> May 1978. Uh, writer, George Cashdan. Art, Alden McWilliams. Um, there you go. Okay, so the cover... Which, of course, we always only have one. Uh, the cover presents a strange but exciting mix of things. Three cave guys in loincloths, a cave gal with a bit more on, and what appears to be a biker dude in a sweater vest are all about to be run over by a tank-like ground vehicle. Ta-da-da! To the rescue comes the Enterprise shuttlecraft that fires phasers into the tank, which blows its crew compartment clean off the deathmobile. The Enterprise is in the far distance. Some kind of mechanism is on fire in the background to the right. Uh, Maybe the thing on fire in the background uh, could... It kind of looks like an oddly shaped building or maybe a crashed aircraft. It really isn't clear uh, what it is. But but definitely the, uh, the covers are pretty action packed one. So promising you action to be seen. In the issue. 
The teaser page page shows Kirk, Spock, and McCoy looking on as civilian humans with guns are herding primitive-looking cave people somewhere as part of a plan to take the locals' valuable resources at all costs. Spock says it's illogical to do nothing, but if they do intervene, the locals are likely to perish. Kirk says, whatever they do, the locals' blood will be on their hands. Okay, little teaser. The Enterprise approaches an unlogged asteroid in their hunt for black marketeers of a substance referred to as TFA. Sensors pick up the presence of the valuable substance on the asteroid. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to the asteroid and discover large deposits of TFA that McCoy says could be a boon to Federation medical science. Spock reports no sign of civilization, but Kirk thinks the significant TFA deposit means the black marketeers have a presence on this asteroid. Spock's tricorder picks up a humanoid life form close by. He is able to warn the others just before they they are attacked by cave guys. With phasers set to heavy stun, the attackers are brought down. McCoy examines one and sees their cloudy blue eyes are a symptom of either Corali or perhaps melange juice. That's a joke. That's uh, Dune. But since this is not Dune, sto- a Dune story, Corali is most likely. Since Corali is not naturally occurring, they theorize the black marketeers are hooking the locals on the addictive stuff. As they come over the ridge, they see huge mining equipment being operated by humans and many primitive, primitive locals doing manual labor and being given Corali to drink. They are drinking up the locals to get them to help to mine the TFA. The locals know no better. They are hooked on the stuff. Kirk and the landing party go down with guns drawn to confront the moralist thieves. Kirk says they are under arrest, and McCoy reads their leader named Pete Flam the riot act. Flam just says they love the Corali. They've never been happier. McCoy is ready to punch the cad when Kirk verbally escalates and tells his people to start packing. Flam says he has too much invested to leave. Kirk has it, so he has the shuttle come in and starts blowing up Flam's mining equipment. Kirk will end this. Flam gets really angry and tells Kirk he will have revenge on him for busting up his operation. Then suddenly, a big blue boulder hits the shuttlecraft and brings it down to the ground hard. Kirk and Spock look up and see a teenager who appears to be the source of the boulder. Kirk and his team race down to the crash shuttle where the kid is taking on three of Kirk's men who emerge from the crash shuttle. Flam and his men are happy to use the kid's distraction to escape from Kirk's clutches. The kid is super strong, and phasers set to stun don't slow him down. After crushing Kirk's phaser, just like Khan, the kid suggests they start talking. The kid gives his name as Kloama, which means strongest and wisest. He is the leader of the people. It's obvious this super-strong kid is very different from the locals. So where did he come from, exactly? Kloama does not want Kirk to get rid of the TFA 
miners because they bring his people Kerali that helps them to deal with the painful life of this asteroid. Kirk agrees to not arrest the miners until after their negotiations are complete, including uh, McCoy giving the, giving the Kualama a brain scan and Spock searching for his true identity in the ship's records. They beam back to the Enterprise with Kualama while Flam watches the whole thing from a distance using a World War II-era pair of binoculars. How advanced. Flam says the kid may switch sides, so they need to prepare. After tests of Kloama and research into the uh, asteroid is complete, Kirk convenes a meeting with Kloama, and they discuss the following things. Kloama has genius-level intellect as well as super strength and durability. Kloama resembles a husband and wife research team that went missing at a time consistent with the kid's current apparent age. All vegetation and people on the asteroid are chemically dependent on the TFA for their continued existence. With With the evidence that his people are being turned into drug addicts and the removal of the TFA will have deleterious effects on his people... Kloama comes around and recognizes Flam as a villain and must be stopped. McCoy says he will prep an antidote to the addictive effects of Kerali, and Spock says they can reintroduce the mine TFA into the ground of the asteroid. Kloama beams down with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy to take Flam into custody. When they arrive, they are also taken prisoner, not only by Flam's armed men, but the natives of the planet, who are now also armed. Flam has taken over as their leader by telling them Kirk and Kloama will be taking away their happy juice. Kirk cleverly activates his communicator, which triggers Scotty to send down an armed security team that gets the drop on Flam. Flam does not like the odds, so he tries to escape with his men while leaving the armed natives to cover their escape. Kloama will have none of that and pursues. After quickly catching up, Kloama easily grabs Flam, puts him in a headlock, and threatens to snap his neck if his men do not drop their weapons. They surrender. Later, McCoy administers the antidote. They reintroduce the stolen TFA into the ground, and they load up Flam and his men... Uh, into a shuttle for transport to the Enterprise. Kirk says he will recommend that Kloama continue on, not only as the Native people's leader, but also be in permanent permanent contact with the Federation as their ambassador. As Kirk and the rest depart on the last shuttle out, he wonders about the evolution of his people's future. The end. The end. The end. Yes. So, my thought throughout the whole book. Yes. That is an unfortunate outfit Kawama's wearing. (laughs) It's a onesie with uh, Mm -hmm. just basically short short pants, underwear, really. It's a onesie underwear, no no legs covered, no arms covered, just a shirt and undies as a onesie. Striped yeah. black and orange. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's kind of it reminded me a little bit of a capeless um, Robin. Um, 
Uh, Robin's uniform was a lot better than that. What are you talking about? Uh, Robin was showing a lot of leg. His legs were shown, yes. But at least <laughs> now, now he had short sleeves. Not all like all one piece. No, he had short sleeves, so that was a little better. Uh, yeah. This thing is sleeveless. Right. Yeah, and and the kid has like a Captain Valiant haircut or something on his head, and uh, and yeah, though the what gold and black stripes. Gold. I, I thought it was orange the whole time. Orange. Uh, yeah. Well, whatever. Even because when Kirk's very, there, it's not the same color as Kirk's. It's it's, it's pretty close. Orange. It's pretty close. He, he looks like it's, Tony. It's very the tiger. light orange. It's very light. It's light Tony orange. the Tiger Underoos. Okay. Well, I'm looking at the comic, and it looks like if if you call it an orange, I say a very light orange. Okay. But whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, the main point is, I completely agree with you. Where this kid come from? I mean, I know they went ahead and had that that little explanation, supposedly some researchers or something. It's like, but okay. So he's a he's from the human researchers, uh, and somehow he gets on this asteroid. So how do how do he become Wonder Boy? I mean, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, there's no explanation of that. No explanation. Um, he's just is. Yeah. So maybe, main... maybe it's because the uh, asteroid, you know, like Superman, you know, he's he's on a different gravity than what he was born on, so therefore <laughs> he has. Powers and abilities far far beyond, beyond that of normal man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but okay. So are these researchers from the Federation? I mean, the, I kid, so. the kid looks human, right? So were his parents from Earth, oh, or some Federation planet? Yeah, I uh, okay. It. Well, uh, why isn't Kirk jumping around with superhuman power and stuff? Because he know. wasn't born there, kid. He wasn't raised <sighs> on the planet. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, okay, so so the whole character here is 100% there to appeal to a youthful audience. Other than that, and also just to make things drag out longer. Uh, because, you know, what else, what other purpose does he serve? Right. Yeah, this one did drag out more than the, the next one did, I thought. Yeah. Uh, so what's the name of the shuttle? Did you mention it in your synopsis? It's the Leonardo. Is that what it says? Yeah, Leonardo. I assume Leonardo da Vinci? Right. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah, when I zoom in, it looks like Leonardo. But when I was reading it the first time, you know, I was I was on a smaller tablet screen, and I kept thinking, does that say lemonade? This lemonade. Is, the, is this the shuttle <laughs> lemonade? The shuttle lemonade. And it the still NCC has a 7, one seven oh one seven. Still got the 7. Lemonade, yeah. Yeah, so Galileo 7. This is the Leonardo 7. Why didn't they say Da Vinci 7? Or Da Vinci 6 would be more logical. Some other number than the Galileo. Anyway, whatever. It should be a different number, I agree. Yeah. So somebody's somebody's a fan of Leonardo Da Vinci, as well they should be. An amazing human being. Uh, But, you know, why the first name? Why not? (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So this is another... uh... Gold key using a caveman story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They they rely on cavemen quite a bit. They like cavemen, and they always look the same. <laughs> well, they're Except cavemen. This one has like how much a, variety are you gonna have with cavemen? Like a, a a blonde woman in it, which is a little different than normal. Yeah, well, the cover shows. Um... Some woman who looks like she's with one of the miners, 
I mean, the guy looks like one of the minor guys. Right, and she's like, like running right towards him. Uh, yeah, it's like they've got a, something going or something, mm-hmm. and they're being threatened and stuff. And it's like, none of that makes sense. I mean, nothing, none of that is in the comic. No. So, but I mean, but they were slave labor, so when well, they were if, slave I mean, labor, but, but, but the enterprise, well, the enterprise. I'm, t- I'm talking about the fire. girl. I'm talking about yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, cave no, girl talking. and the biker the dude. Yeah, but I mean, they did shoot on the. Um, they did blow up one of the mining. Yes, trucks, they did, right? and, and and the Leonardo is shooting at it, and it's almost the same thing. You know the. You know the crew compartment blows off the uh, tra- the tracked. Right. Uh, but you would imagine to... that there would have still been people around it, and they would have to run to escape. Uh, okay. Yeah. So this is just but... a wider shot of that that shows that you know that woman just happens to be running in the same direction as that pirate. <laughs> pirate. The pirate miner. So this deals with um, drug abuse, or you yes, know, mind altering drugs. Yes, it does. And. I would say that the next issue does as well to a certain degree. So I wonder what, what was on the, the writer's mind as they were writing these. <laughs> Drugs? I don't know. It was the 70s, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So it's been a while since I read these, I mean, quite frankly. But w- where was the drugs involved in the second one? In 53? Um, well, they all get very mellow and chilled out uh, at Right at the beginning. Oh, okay, okay. Why bother, man? Oh, that! Burritos, Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, right. Okay, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah. And then, uh... Okay, yeah. So, yeah. So they were into drugs in both of these. Or they... I mean, mean, how often did they uh, acknowledge addiction at all in the TV series? Like, never! We were beyond that by then. Well, that's well, except for that, uh, the original um, exactly city at the city of forever, city at the edge of forever. That right. original script took addiction head on, and that's why it was totally rewritten. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, as far as artwork on this one goes, uh, I absolutely love the cover. That's one of the best covers. I mean, it's not very Star Trekky, right? But... It's beautiful with the explosion and yeah. the shuttle in the background. Yep. And I like all the people fleeing from it. <sighs> yeah, it looks good. Uh, and it's kind of cool seeing the uh, the Enterprise shuttle, you know, swooping down and stuff. But it's like uh, they never had Rain, phasers. Raining down of. fire. Raining down fire. So the phaser is coming from like the middle of the bottom of the uh, of the shuttle. Which I think is an interesting origination point, but... Yeah, I would not put one there. No. A little further forward, I would think, but whatever. But uh, as far as the interior artwork goes, it's normal gold key fare. Um, They did throw in one weird thing that I I got a chuckle out of when Mm -hmm. I was reading it. Uh, When they first beamed down to the planet on page three. Okay. uh, Squidward's uh, pineapple... Or no, uh, Spongebob's (laughs) pineapple is there. Oh, yeah, there it is in the background. Yeah, Everything looks alien and, and weird, like just shapes and colors. Mm-hmm. And then there's a pineapple. <laughs> Giant pineapple. Yeah. Well, it, it, a, a lot of what you see is, except for the color, because the color is wackadoodle, but it looks like the kind of uh, 
rock formations you might see in like Zion National Park or someplace in the in, in the desert southwest. Right. Some of it. Uh, some of it's a little bit weird looking, but definitely that arch reminds me of some things in the desert southwest of the U.S. Uh, and yes, I completely agree with you. <laughs> the pineapple. So Squidward lived in a pineapple? No, no, no. no. SpongeBob lived. Okay, SpongeBob did. Yeah, yeah, no. Right, uh, right, right. Squidward lived in like a tiki or something, like a stone. Oh, okay. Tiki statue or something. Like something that. a little bit closer to his own face. Looks yeah. like his face. Was it his face? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Uh, it looked. Look just like a you know like the tiki idols that the Brady's had in that uh, oh in that in the Hawaii uh, one Hawaii episode yeah oh boy woo that, that that's an unexpected memory to have yeah well anytime I think of tiki's that's that's the one that pops in I'm like oh they're bad luck <laughs> yeah didn't was that the source of Greg's surfing yeah. issues yeah they were cursed or something yeah I used to love. The Brady Bunch when I was a kid. But that's another example of watching any of that stuff now. And it's like, eh. It's either meh, boring, or it's like, this is stupid. Right. Anyway. Yeah, I try to explain to the kids just how popular the Bradys were, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid. Because, yeah. I mean, they had a sitcom TV show. Yeah. They had a variety show. They had cartoons, right? I mean, it was just like, that was the property that was you know transcended every medium at the time right because right. I, mean, I remember watching the you know brady kids and there was mm-hmm. a crossover with wonder woman and i was like oh this is so awesome there, what the hell are you talking about there the was brady a saturday kids? morning brady overlap kids with cartoon them. and then they had like crossovers kind of like how scooby-doo did crossovers yeah uh there was the brady kids crossover with with wonder woman where they oh my before. god I, that's the oh, that's the only episode I remember, but it was just because you know I was a big fan of DC. comic books. So it was just yeah. like, it's Wonder Woman and the Brady Kids together <laughs> my again. Like the Brady Kids, I didn't care for that. Oh, okay, that's funny. But I, when I really, you were a kid and that's all that you had to watch on Saturday mornings, yeah, yeah. you watched it. I, I I really don't remember the uh, Brady Kids comic uh, or animated show. Yeah, but yeah, like, I mean should. the, the, the <laughs> I should. Nobody should remember that. <laughs> but it did exist. And so I was trying to explain to the kids just, you know, that that, that franchise, the Brady Bunch, as stupid as it sounds, was yeah. everywhere. That was popular. Right. Uh, the monkeys were popular. Uh, Partridge Family was popular to some degree. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, so anyways, back to this issue. Yeah. So when I first saw Cloama... And how strong he was, and especially how he crushed uh, Kirk's phaser. I was right. thinking, is this guy an augment? I mean, somehow is he, you know, from, is, is he like Khan? Because um, he's super smart, and he's super powerful, and he can even take a phaser shot, yeah. point blank. Right. And, he, and, he, and he crushes a phaser exactly the same way that Khan did. Uh of course, in the original Taz episode, I'm pretty sure that was a Play-Doh phaser that Ricardo Montalban crushed, but who knows. Oh, um, really? <laughs> I'll well, go back and look, look at it, and it looks like what they did is they took a, uh, they took like, like maybe a, a phaser one prop, and then they like made the Remade phaser two, yeah, uh, <laughs> out of something very easily crushed, like, like putty or something. Anyway, right. Take a look. I wonder what they made the... Like the Superman props that George Reeves used to just like bend oh. back. Oh, like the guns and stuff? 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I wonder I if those it. were. I mean, I wonder if the, that phaser was made out of the same stuff that is. I guess <laughs> it would be rubber, right? I don't know. I don't know. I'll but have to it, go back and rewatch it. Yeah. But man, I I love that idea that this is somehow one of those Superman that made it off the planet and he's a little right. kid and doesn't know who he is. That would have been a better, much better story. Yeah. <laughs> it would have explained something anyway. Because hey, he even has the haircut kind of like Khan had in, <laughs> in Space Seed. Right, right. Man, there you are, making a better story than what we got. Well, it would have explained something, but whatever. Uh, but, I mean, ultimately where he came from, that would be the hard part. <laughs> so, right, how how he got there. Exactly. Right. And But they didn't even, so they didn't explain that really, and uh, and they certainly didn't explain his powers, so... Whatever. So you okay. think the people of Gold Key uh, have a thing for uh, not liking sailors? Because uh, anytime they need to draw generic bad guys, they're like, let's let's make let's them look sailors. like Popeye, like just sailors, just <laughs> usually wearing pink or purple outfits, but sailor hats, sailor shirts. Well, like like I said, the guy on the cover, he looks more like a biker. Oh, uh, like a Hell's Angel or something like that. Well, like, uh, um, like Marlon Brando in the. Yeah, hey, uh, I could see that. I you know, in the that. Wild Bunch or whatever. Uh, was was that the movie? I don't know. Yeah, but they, they, I they, don't... They, there was some old fifties movie where Marlon Brando was a biker or something, black and yeah, white. But, I think. It but was. definitely his minions are. I mean, they're even wearing sailing hats and stuff like that. They look like they're wearing Donald Duck hats. <laughs> well, do you know what some of those hats look like? And I think that a friend of the podcast, Brian, would agree. Some of them look a bit like Captain Action. Okay. Who's Captain that? Action, it's, it's, a, it's a doll uh, for boys uh, from back in the 60s. Anyway, so he's got a hat that's kind of... The, the hat he wears, Captain Action, is uh, you know, is a little bit like that. Is he a of the original G.I. Joe? Or? Um, I don't... Uh, it, okay, so Captain Action was the same size as G.I. Joe, the original G.I. Joe. Because right. when, when they brought them back later, they were smaller. Right. Yeah, but the right. original G.I. Joes were exactly this. So, so Captain Action was exactly the same size as the G.I. Joes. And just like G.I. Joes, you had to pay extra money and you would be able to have Captain Action. Brian and I must have mentioned this before, but anyway. So to get his different clothes and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah. So if you want Captain Action to be a diver, a deep sea diver, you... You get your parents to buy this accessory thing, outfit, mm-hmm. kind of like like Barbie, and you know, and and you can turn Captain Action into a deep sea diver or right. a soldier or right. like all these different things. I think there were things that let you. Tur- I, mean, I, I think at the very least, I think I had one where you could turn uh, Captain Action into Aquaman. I think I actually oh, had really? that one. Whatever. Well, I highly recommend you watch a, uh, the TV series on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us. Oh, yeah. Because there's an episode of G.I. Joe where they talk about where they came up with... Uh, the idea. Yeah, the idea. And I think they might bring up Captain Action as you know one of the spin one of the competitors that came after the fact. Oh, cool. Okay. And then... Um, cause, so that episode's really good with what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But then there's actually a Star Trek episode, which is all about Star Trek toys, which... Yeah. Which I was surprised they did, because, you know, Star Trek toys, that's not as important to me as, like, Star Wars toys and, and G.I. Joe and E-Man and stuff like that. So I And no one publisher was like, we make all the Star, Star Trek toys. 
But uh, so I was surprised they did it at first. But man, I'm glad they did because it was so good. Because it was just talking about how you know in the '60s they were just like, "We'll license our name to everything," you know. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> yeah. And then later they tried to rein it in. It was like, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna more control what we, what we put the Star Trek name on um, than what we did in the beginning. Right. So I really liked it. You should watch it if you haven't already watched it. Um, I have not watched the Star Trek one. Um. And that's funny because what you were just saying is, I mean, when I was a kid, Star Trek, I was totally into Star Trek stuff and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and Lost in Space and blah, 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 blah. By the time Star Wars came out, I think I was in like eighth grade or something. So I was past all the toy stuff. Sure. So not as big a deal for me. But I did like the model kits uh, for Star Wars. So I definitely made the Millennium Falcon a few times. And uh, snow speeders, and that kind of thing. Sounds good. Okay. So All right, what else you got? I have nothing else on this one. Okay, good. Yeah, me either. All right, so then we'll move on to 53. This came out July of 1978. Um, has one cover, and I, we've actually talked about this cover before, but um, it's the one that has, like, a giant Cyclops' face on it. He, like, takes up most of the picture. And then, uh, like, right in front of him, he's holding up his hand, and he's wearing, and, and inside of his hand is a green-shirted Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And he's, like, about to eat him or something. And then the little caption reads, Ancient Greek deities force Kirk and Spock on an odyssey of peril. So within the book, they reference uh, the writer being George Cashton and the artist by Al Mc. Williams. Um, they don't mention who does the cover, but according to uh, Memory Beta, the cover was done by George Wilson. So they have a little teaser page, and in this teaser page it shows Kirk, McCoy, and Spock on a boat, and they're floating in between two giant kaiju monsters. So the story starts off well, actually quite interesting for a gold key issue. Um, the USS Pathfinder, which is also a Constitution class ship, is being attacked by two Klingon D7s. The Enterprise swoops in to the rescue. Uh, there's a, like a short firefight between the uh, Starfleet vessel and the two Klingons, and then the Klingons end up retreating. Uh, the Pathfinder says they're not too damaged, and they're going to head out and continue their mission. So for those first couple pages, it's like a completely different story than what we're going to get for the rest of the issue. So uh, once the Pathfinder is gone, Kirk orders the bridge to return to their previous mission. But everybody suddenly seems very mellow and not very motivated to do anything. Uh, they reports start coming in from sickbay and engineering where McCoy and Scotty tell Kirk that this lackadaisical attitude is shipwide. Everybody just wants to chill out. They suspect that it has something to do with a local planet, so they decide to head over there and investigate. McCoy, Spock, and Kirk beam down to a jungle environment. They are almost immediately attacked by natives with, who are carrying spears, boomerangs, and shields. They fend them off with a few phaser fires. Once the natives depart, the trio is then attacked and scooped up by a giant cyclops. 
they fire a few times with their phasers to no avail. Then Kirk orders McCoy to shoot the giant in the eye with a proto phaser, which uh, McCoy points out is just a medical instrument. But uh, somehow this seems to hurt the creature, even though the phasers never did. Once they're safely away from the giant, they start to talk and they suspect that the events that are playing out seem to parallel the book slash poem slash epic called The Odyssey by Homer. Suddenly, a bald face appears in the sky and congratulates them for figuring it out so fast. He says that he is Zeus. And he has been putting the crew through the same test he did Ulysses all those many, many years ago. Um, and then in the clouds, other gods appear and they start to gloat over the over the, the crew. The gods say that they were once on Earth, but left once the humans became too advanced and wise. And now that they're on this planet, they are living in paradise because of all the gullible natives that, that are continuing to worship them. With that, the gods vanish, and the crew continue on with the story. They actually have a fight with the wind that's produced by the god Aeolus. I'm probably 100% sure I mispronounced that, but I'm not familiar with him. He was not in Clash of the Titans, so I don't know who he is. Uh, but uh, he's just basically blowing wind at them, and they're able to shoot their phasers into the wind, and somehow this changes the wind's direction, and they're able to get away. The crew then find themselves a boat, and they take off. Uh, shortly after departure, they start to hear the songs of the sirens in the distance. Kirk orders that he gets tied up while the other two, uh, Kirk and McCoy, plug their ears with gauze. And he says he wants to do this because he wants to continue to hear the sweet, sweet music. With the... Uh, with McCoy and Spock earmuffed, uh, they're able to continue to oar to oar the ship until eventually they're able to get it past the sirens on, and everybody can return back to their normal duties. Uh, but shortly after that, after Kirk's untied and everything, they are suddenly surrounded by two giant creatures. One is called Skelia the Monster, and the other one is Charobus, the whirlpool beast. And it seems that these two gigantic beasts will destroy their tiny ship. But thanks to some quick phaser incentive, they are able to escape the two giant creatures. They make their way to shore, and they find themselves at the harbor of a giant Greek city. There, the people are congratulate them. And then Zeus appears in the sky, but he's none too happy. He starts to zap the Starfleeters with lightning. Kirk orders the ship to fire the ship's, and I'm going to say this exactly, deflector shield through the tractor beam back down to the surface. Whatever that means. The Enterprise does this, and somehow this is powerful enough to knock Zeus off his cloud throne. The Greek gods then deem that this planet is no longer fun, and they depart. Later, back on the ship, Kirk and Spock discuss what to include in the official logs. Kirk says that it's not every day that they meet up with a god, totally forgetting that he's had brushes with Apollo in the past, plus perhaps this is foreshadowing 
to his Star Trek V adventure. The end. Star Trek V? Wow! In Good many point. circles, that is the best Star Trek. He fights God. <laughs> what does God need with a starship? Hmm. I was so hoping he would have that line with Zeus. <laughs> Zeus was like, I'm going to take over your ship and depart these mortals. And I'm uh, like, say it, say it, say it. But no, he Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so they use phasers. I mean, the phasers did everything, which is wonderful. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. so, so, many, so many stories, phasers have no effect on the the bad guy of the week for whatever reason why do you have phasers i mean it's the same kind of garbage went on with lost in space and some of the other shows it's like okay now in this story phasers did absolutely everything yet at near the end when they could have used phasers they decided to use deflector beams through tractor beams yeah you you said what it was in, in your in your synopsis. So it's like, oh, okay. What would they should have shot him with phasers? I mean, that wouldn't wouldn't that have been it? I mean, what what? You you think it would have helped? I don't know. Well, it's the phasers did everything else. So Aeolus. And I I think it's pronounced Aeolus. Um Yeah, I I, I, some, mean, I, I I'm not familiar with that guy. I was actually <clears throat> I was actually sad that I didn't know who that was. Yeah, it was like God of the Western Wind or something like that. Some, some wind god. So, of course, the wind god is messing with the landing party by blowing on them. And somehow they're able to use their phasers to turn the wind back on Aeolus? Right. Yeah, they, they shoot the wind. They don't they shoot sh- him. They shoot, shoot the wind, the wind. In a wide enough radius that somehow deflects the wind back to him. I don't know what happened. Yeah. But yeah. it made no sense. No that made sense. no sense. Okay. Um, so, okay, so when they talk about the tractor beam, which is something that pulls things towards you, um, were they trying to say that the tractor beam was used in reverse and went through the deflector shields to be able to push this god off his feet? Or off his Zeus? chair. Yeah. Off his well, chair. And, I mean, it's not like he's really there. I mean, at least I don't think he's really there in this cloud. Yeah, because it just shows his face and hand for the most part. Right, and then when that when that whatever it is hits the cloud, it shows him get knocked off onto his off a, a throne that he was sitting in that we didn't know. Right, and then all the people are like seeing him laying on the ground with his butt up in the air, and they're like, "Ah, Zeus fell out of his chair." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you you guys are are not nice at all. We're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I was, did find it I did find it easy, interesting that you see I think it's Mercury and you see is that Pan? Is that supposed to be Pan? It, it looks like Pan, yeah. Okay, and then Zeus and then Hercules. I'm not quite sure who everybody is. But they don't show Apollo. So this is already when these gods I'm trying to tie together this story with the <laughs> uh, with the episode. Yeah, don't. It's too <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um so I mean so 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 basically the gods left Apollo that was in that Who Mourns for Adonis episode and they went to this comic book story. Is <laughs> Maybe. That, is that it? Maybe. Because <laughs> I don't see Apollo there. Yeah, he's not no. there. No, okay. 
There's my theory. Huh. Yeah, I was just like, can't you just throw in a throwaway line? I mean, because in the last issue, they actually brought up the the Organian Treaty and all that stuff, which I was like, well, that's kind of cool that they're, you know, at least a throwaway line towards the old show. Hmm. Uh, but here, it's Greek gods, and you already did a whole episode with a Greek god, so at least, at least mention it. But nope. <sighs> yeah. And speaking of the Greek gods, their depiction of Zeus, I mean, it looks nothing like no. Lawrence Olivier. It looks nothing like... No. Uh, He's bald. What the hell? Um, Liam Neeson. <laughs> it's like, this is the weirdest version of, of Zeus I have ever seen. Exactly. It's the guy in the green toga towards the end. Or no, the beginning? Anyway, it's the guy with the, green, with the, with the big white beard and the green toga. Yeah. That looks more like he would be Zeus to me. Right. Yeah. I agreed. Yeah. yeah, I don't know who he's supposed to be. I don't think they say, but... Maybe Neptune? I mean, he kind of looks... He has that vibe. Well, maybe. Uh-huh. He just left his trident at home. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, no, it's a very it's a very odd look. He's a very emaciated, skinny, white guy, bald-haired, wearing just a, a loincloth and, a, and like a little shawl or something. It's not even a shirt. It's just like a... Yeah, it's like a toga. But it's not even a toga because it doesn't connect to the pants. It's just like... Okay, well, okay. So in the picture I'm seeing, I don't see him, I don't see him below the waist. Look at when he gets knocked off the... the oh, okay. Chair. Ah! <laughs> so he's got the red skirt on. Right. With the yeah. yellow trim on the bottom. Okay. Exactly. Okay, well. Anyways, very interesting. I've never seen Zeus depicted that way. Yeah, yeah, usually he's a big guy with a big, big bushy white beard. Yeah, yeah he looks like Odin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same guy. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> anyway. Uh, getting back to the Aeolus thing. Um, Kirk, Kirk's dialogue says, 100 protons. <clears throat> Those air blasts have the force of 100 protons. Okay. W- what? Okay, so protons, you know, along with electrons and neutrons, uh, that was the old theory for, you know, the building blocks of, lo- of, of matter, right? Right. So 100 protons wouldn't be much of anything. I mean, you couldn't even see it. It's microscopic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's what makes up an atom, a proton. Right. And 100 right. of them wouldn't be very strong. So <laughs> he's comparing that to a gale force wind coming out of Aeolus? What? What? <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. It's just it sounds scientific. It sounds futuristic. Yeah. Space. Yeah. Wacky. Wacky. Okay. I just thought I'd match that. But yeah, and, and then Aeolus also looks like a a giant bald baby in a toga. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very he, chubby cheeks. He, and yeah, his, and he has absolutely no hair. No. No hair. So, uh, are you familiar that that familiar with the the Odyssey? Oh, I, I'm f- I'm familiar with it, but just familiar with it from like high school stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, the fact that Spock, McCoy, and Kirk all seem to know so many details about it is amazing to me. Right. I mean, they're they're naming the monsters and stuff. So with with the with the multi headed dog thing with Skylia or whatever that was, right? It's like I don't know what that is. I mean, a multi headed 
Yeah, I, Cerberus. I'm familiar with Cerberus, right. but I, I don't know that I ever remember Skylia. Yeah. And then, and then that other thing that uh, the whirlpool Char- Charybdis, Charybdis, yeah. the whirlpool beast. I never heard of that before, or maybe I did, but I it didn't stick to my uh, brain. Yeah, to be honest, I, I did not remember. I remember the sirens. I remember the cyclops. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not remember <clears throat> those two large creatures. Um, and then I did just because I had a couple of minutes before we recorded to to do some quote unquote research, and I did it by pulling up the uh, Marvel uh, comic book adaption of the Odyssey. Oh, right. That they did back in yeah. the '80s, and um, just thumbing through it, I found. I found the Whirlpool Beast, but mm-hmm. I never found uh, Scalia in the, in the comic. But I didn't actually read it. Like I said, I just kind of thumbed through. Right. But uh, yeah, and you sent me one of the covers uh, via text. Yeah, I sent you the cover cool. where it showed the, the their Cyclops was much more gnarly and monstrous than than this guy. Yeah. Which, I mean, when I think of the Cyclops, uh, this is the guy I think of. Yeah, more of a human face, even though he's got the one eye. Uh, right. Where the the Marvel one doesn't look human at all. I mean, he he looks more like a Magatu, a purple Magatu. Than yeah, a, he even has the pointed head. Well, he's got the single yeah, horn, the horn. Yeah, on, on the his head. Hole. You know, so, oh well. Yeah, the Cyclops to me either looks like this guy or uh, John Goodman from <laughs> uh, Old Brother Where Up That, which is also an adaptation of... Uh, exactly, which when you first mentioned that to me, I had no clue about that. None. Yeah, that's why when this started, I was like, oh, man, this is cool. I'm going to try to tie in all of the scenes from uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou to this. But mm-hmm. Aside from the sirens and the cyclops, I couldn't really connect a lot of that movie to this, this issue. Yeah. But anyways, uh, what else you got on this one? I uh, thought this was a good read. I mean, it was fast. It was action-packed. It didn't drag. It, didn't, it did not drag. Although it taxed the, uh, it, the believability. It, yes, big time. Yes, yes. Yeah, suspended disbelief got a huge workout. But I did like how I agree. I, I liked how it began. Um, although I got to say, uh, I mean, technically speaking, there were three D sevens in the original attack. Oh yeah, there is. There's one. <clears throat> there's one more off to the one, right. I kind of see it now. Right. I, I totally missed it when I was reading the first time. And then, so three on one, you know, and D7s are pretty powerful. Um, so the, but the Enterprise comes in and just shoots like, they just shoot two torpedoes. That's it. They shoot two photon torpedoes and, and those one, uh, one, for, one for two of them. <laughs> right. And that's all they need to disable them. So it's like, okay, that's fine. That's nice, but that's not how it works. They got shields too. You're not going to do it that fast, but whatever. Right. But those first three pages, I mean, that was like, that's like the Star Trek stories we're used to, you know, like with DC and mm-hmm. and Marvel, yeah. uh, their, their second run. You know, it was all just like, yeah, we're going to do the on-ship stuff, and yeah, we're going to do some exploring and stuff. But there's also this really cool space battles and stuff, which mm-hmm. we don't get a lot in the Gold Key stuff. No, no. Especially, I mean, a lot of times you get the uh, the, the deceiving uh, aliens as opposed to coming out and, and fighting you toe-to-toe. Right. Uh, which I know some of that also I'm overlapping with uh, the UK comics because the, uh, I, th- I think the last UK comic 
Well, we've read some of the UK comics in the back past where the Klingons are very much Romulan-y. So they're, they're, they're less, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your hat on because I'm a, a warrior whatever. And uh, the Klingons were acting more like uh, Romulans that are going to, oh, I have a very deceptive plan that's going to be incredibly complicated and blah, blah, blah. Right. But, but yeah, I, 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 like seeing, I like seeing me some space battles. Yeah, these were definitely worth watching. Yep. And the, and the artwork was good. So, you know, the, the, the two Constitution-class ships look good, and the D7s look good. Um, yeah. So the artwork overall was pretty good. Right. And then, uh, again, maybe because I don't know the Odyssey all that well. Um, I mean, I tried to read it years and years and years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think I got very far. But I don't remember the crew suddenly becoming mellow and just like, hey, <laughs> check out this this nice looking planet, you yeah, know, well, and not well, not wanting to do it. <clears throat> okay, but okay, so that happened in the Odyssey. I don't know. I don't. Well, know it did. Does. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, they they did not explain it well here, but I know uh, I know that much. I have that much of a memory of it that uh, that there were a part where. Uh, where, where the crew became lackadaisical uh, about their duty and that kind of stuff. Okay. So, but I don't remember them. Did they ever explain why the Enterprise crew did that? I don't think they did. No, they just assumed that it has something to do with this planet. So exactly. Let's, let's just beam down. Right. So the effects of the, uh, of the gods on the crew, right. I guess, is the same kind of thing. Because they wanted to try to mirror the, the book as much as possible. Yep. yep. But why was Kirk... Scotty, McCoy, and Spock not affected? Or is their work ethic well, so high that, that think, they, could, they could override it? Where well, everybody else was just like, hey, what's your hurry, man? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really made well, me think, I think of like the old stereo, stereotype of the, the people on, on the marijuana is ah, the, way they, yeah. the way they talk. Right, right, right. Hey, man, relax. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. That's, well, that's I, how I think, everybody sounded in my head when I was reading it. <laughs> yeah, I think Ulysses uh, was able to, uh, you know, still have enough motivation and, and drive that he was able to get past that. So they did that with Kirk, and, well, you can't have a story without McCoy and, and Spock. So I guess right. they just said all three of them were able to get past it. Good. Yep, there you go. Well, I got nothing else to say about this one. Me either. Uh, I didn't have a lot to say at all. Really. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not the greatest uh, story in the world, but hey, it's interesting. Yeah. Throw a little dash of uh, Greek gods in there into a story. Why not? Right. All right. Uh, what else are we going to do tomorrow, next week, next episode? Well, uh, let's, let's do some more gold key. So 54 and 55. More gold key goodness. Sounds good. And just so that you know, Ken, yes. uh, there's only eight issues left. Wow. So if we do two at a time, that's four more gold key episodes ever. Okay. Now, we'll have to go back and double check because um, they did do a couple of reprints, gold key did, mm-hmm. and, and they called them the Enterprise Logs. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just need to make sure that they didn't sneak in like a short story or an issue or something there that okay. wasn't also included in, in the normal run. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, there's only eight episodes 
eight issues left of the normal monthly series. Okay. Well, I wouldn't mind checking off Gold Key as an accomplishment in the not-too-distant future. There you go. There you go. Cool. And we're on the, the final volume of uh, UK Comics, too. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, kind of close to the end of all of it. Wow. Okay. And, of course, you always have new upcoming IDWs, which is good. Right. Uh, just not it, – it's not like we – okay, so I guess year five is monthly. Um, yeah, year five is monthly. That's so the only we, we do still have a mo- one monthly thing. Everything else is more like short runs. Right. Three and or at four the time of the issues. We have, uh, there's a Voyager miniseries, Seven's Reckoning, I think it's called. Ah, yes going on right now so hopefully we can do that in a couple of months when when it's finished its run good all sounds great hope you guys are enjoying uh this gold key these gold key issues with us and uh look forward to more gold key next week bye hey. thank you for listening to star trek comic book review all star trek stories and characters are copyrighted cbs studios incorporated All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.